Welcome to the Liberty Podcast. We're so excited that you're interested in the teaching ministry of Liberty Bible Church. We're a multi-site church that exists to share the love of Christ across Northwest Indiana. If you're looking for a church home, please check us out at our website, findliberty.net. Thanks again for joining us as together we're transformed by the teaching from the Word of God. Uh, well, good morning and welcome to Liberty Bible Church. Uh, my name is Tim and I'm, I'm one of the pastors here. If you have a Bible, you can turn it to Luke 6. That's where we'll be uh, this morning. I'm going to pray for us and then jump into our text. Let us pray. Uh, Father, thank you that you have, have spoken to us. First and foremost and preeminently in your son Jesus. His teachings, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension to your right hand is our only hope in life and death. So we slow our hearts now, we slow our minds to, to hear from him. Uh, so Father, keep my words to, to what he would want me to say, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, well, in November of 2017, I made the decision to run the Chicago Marathon, which is a bold strategy for someone who had never run further than two miles in my entire life. Um, but I had an option at that point, and, and what I found is most people approach a marathon with one of two options to how to do it. Option one is miraculous intervention. <laughs> you show up the day of the race, and you, get, you go as far as you can go. And there's some people, they've done that. Uh, they've run marathons doing that. Option two, that's the option I chose, was, was train. Might only be able to run two miles today, but I'll, I'll run two miles today. Get to three Get to four, talk to a friend who uh, runs a lot himself, get some advice, Google good running shoes, go to a running store, have them show me the right kind of shoes to wear, run six miles, run eight. Uh, to wear about 11 months after I signed up, the day of the race came, and while I, I'm, I may not say I ran the Chicago Marathon, I will say I traveled the Chicago <laughs> Marathon. So I want to pose a question to you, which is, how do you run a marathon Spiritually, how do you become the kind of person who lives a rich, deep, and spiritually fruitful life? How do you become the kind of person who is, is free of anger and fear so that you live a life of peace and joy? How do you become the kind of person who loves your neighbor as yourself because you're free of lust and envy? How do you become the kind of person who would never again be paralyzed or humiliated by the dislike, the condemnation, the gossip of other people? How do you become the kind of person who can receive praise from others but doesn't need it to be happy or joyful in this life? How do you become the kind of person who has the strength and understanding that enables you to bless those who curse you? To bless those who cheat you. To bless those who spit on you in a confrontation. Who laugh at you because of who you are. How do you become the kind of person who's free of the love of money? Generous, open, ready, and feeling a burden to help whenever a need is put in front of you. How do you become the kind of person who runs a marathon spiritually? Well, I find most Christians take the same two paths as marathon trainers. Option one is divine intervention. 
I'm not going to do anything, and God's going to do something in me, and I don't know how it works. And God does this. I was with someone this week who explained God's dramatic intervention into their life to free them from alcohol and drug addiction. It was a powerful story, and I believe that, miraculous intervention. But I also have been in the church long enough where I've met Christians who have gone to church almost their entire lives, but functionally live no different lives than someone who does not go to church. They gossip with just as much freedom about other people. They give little of their income away. They live so angry that people around them have to be afraid of what they say, unless they spark the wrath of that person. They can't forgive those who have wronged them. So while I, I want to continue to always believe in miraculous intervention, I wonder if, if we might need to think about how do we train to become more like Jesus, to become a person who can run a marathon spiritually. And I say that not just because of my experience of other people. I say that in my own life. How much like Jesus am I compared to how much like Jesus I should be? And that gap feels too wide. But ultimately, I don't say any of this because I'm thinking these things. Jesus said these things. In Luke chapter 6, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he or she is fully trained, will be like their teacher. Jesus says two pretty simple things there. One is he expects us to train with him, and two, he expects that when we're done training with him, we'll be like him, our teacher. And that's the next two weeks of our time together. This week is, what does it mean to train with Jesus? Next week is, what does it mean to live a life like Jesus. So first, how, how do we train with Jesus? And really what I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lay out for you is, is honestly what we're going to focus on as a church in the years ahead, what I think leads to life change in, in all of us. And that's around three things. We need the right kind of teachings, we need the right kind of practices, and we need the right community. And I'm gonna, we're going to talk about really the rest of the series is unpacking what I mean by this. So this is a flyover. But here we'll start with, first, we need the right kind of teaching. We need the teaching and the lifestyle of uh, Jesus. A few years ago, I was driving from Kansas City to Chicago to visit family. And we got about an hour, hour and a half outside the city on uh, I-57. And Google Maps told me suddenly to, to get off the interstate, to divert my path. So I started to get off the interstate. Then they told me, no, get right back on. Don't, don't get off. So I, got, I stayed on. And then about a half mile down the road, traffic was completely stopped. And we waited for an hour and then another hour. Uh, we waited so long, my kids started saying to me in the back seat, I've got, we've got to go to the bathroom. And there's no bathroom in sight. And with uh, three boys, I'll let you imagine how we solved that problem. But we just, we waited and waited and and finally traffic started going. We waited there for hours. And for me, because I've just kind of trusted Google as the best app to navigate you around traffic, that, that, that confidence was now shaken. And I started looking for other apps because Google had failed me in the way I, I drive. And the reality is all of us now, or maybe not all of us, at least me and and many of us, we drive just with our GPS device without really thinking about where we're going. And we, whatever they're telling me, I'm going because they have all their algorithms and the, 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 the cameras they're watching us with, right? They know where to go. So I follow. And, and that is, that's actually how our brains work. Our brains just kind of navigate us through this life. That's why most of you, if you've been coming to church here a while, you probably drove here and did not think about driving the whole time you drove here. You just did it. Um, or why uh, not just uh, physical uh, actions with our bodies, but also how we, how we navigate the world mentally is like a GPS device. A question like, what will make me happy? You and I have a mental map that, 
that drives us towards what we think will make us happy. And we just go that direction automatically. Right? Questions like, what will make me happy? What is true? Who is a good person? How do you become a good person? We all have answers to those questions, but we don't write them down. And then when we make a decision, go, but what did I write about that? Okay, now here's my decision based on that. No, we automatically respond to our life surroundings like Google tells us to automatically respond to the traffic around us. And how we answer those questions determines how we, how we live. And how we answer those questions depends on who's our teacher. Whose voice is most loud and most significant to us. And here's the thing. What, most of us probably in here, we're Christians. So we all, when I say, who's your teacher? Everyone's like, it's Jesus. That's the correct answer. It's Jesus should be our teacher. And we all know that, but is he our teacher? And so Jesus gives a case study, which is really interesting. And the case study is, is what do you do when someone sins? When you see something doing something wrong, what do you do? What's your response? The most common human responses are gossip. You tell someone else what you saw this person do, maybe if you don't like them, to, to knock their their reputation down a little bit, or just the joy of, of being morally superior to that person. You gossip. Sometimes we Instagram it, right? We take a snap a picture, put it online, hashtag sinner. People do this. This is not made up. Or we're, we're just indignation, anger, condemnation. How dare they? Those are the sorts of people ruining our world. Those are the typical human responses. What does Jesus say our response should be? What's Jesus' answer to the question, what do you do when someone does something wrong and you see them? Well, here's his answer. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. I'm just saying that to remind us of the context. He's saying, you're training with me. I want you to be like me. Here's what I'm like. Here's how I want you to respond when someone sins. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your eye? Brother, uh, or sorry, uh, how can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck that is in your own eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? So Jesus sets up a scenario, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play it out for us uh, this morning. Uh, when I walked in this morning, I noticed, Phil, Phil, you're coming in, and you had a speck in your eye. You're rubbing your eye. And I, I would like, could I come down there and take that speck out of your eye right now? Would you be comfortable with that? I'm, I'm, I'm really tired of seeing you rub your eye. It's time to get a hold of your life. Some good eye. It's ridiculous, right? You have a log in your own eye, and yet you're walking around. Man, you got, I, can I help you with that speck? Right? It, no. Jesus is, is what he's saying here is, is his disciples will live with a spirit of non-condemnation. Jesus is saying when someone else sins, your first response should not be a spirit of condemnation. John 3.17, I think Jesus is speaking here, although sometimes the red letters cut out. They think this isn't Jesus, this is John speaking. I think Jesus is still speaking here in John 3.17. Whether it's Jesus or John, it doesn't matter, but I think Jesus says this of himself. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. 
Or Jesus, Matthew eleven twenty eight, our central text. He looks at tired, weary, uh, uh, burned out sinners and says, I'm gentle, I'm lowly, come to me. Let me be your teacher, learn from me, take up my yoke and you'll have rest for your souls. Jesus was a person of non-condemnation. And I know right now in your mind, it's like, well, wait, we got to call sin, sin. We got to, we can't go, I, I agree. But that's not what we're talking about right now. What we're, what we're talking about right now is when you see a sinner, how do you respond? And Jesus says, your response should be like mine, which is non-condemnation. And this is very hard for us, which is why I love Dallas Willard's reflection on this text. He asks a few questions. Can we really live that way? Could we successfully navigate personal relationships without letting people know that we disapproved of them and find them to be in the wrong? Condemnation, giving it and receiving it, is such a large part of normal human existence that we may not even be able to imagine or think what life would be like without it. A spirit of non-condemnation. I know, you're thinking right now, so I never tell someone else that they've sinned, they've done something wrong. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is Jesus is giving you two alternative practices before you would ever do that. So before you go and point out the sin in someone else's life, he's he's inviting you to two practices. The first is you you got to thoroughly deal with your own sin. And notice Jesus doesn't say, when you see the log in Phil's eye, you got to deal with the speck in your own eye first. No, he says, when you see the speck in your brother's eye, then you deal with the log in your own eye. Jesus is saying, you're a bigger sinner than you think you are. That's what he's saying. And what I'm confident of, if you, ever, if you ever get to a place where you sit before the Father and let him search your heart as the Psalms uh, invite you to, you're not going to see your sin as a speck in your eye. You're going you're to understand this, this is you. <laughs> that your sin is not a, a pothole in the driveway to cover up. It's, it's mammoth cave. It's a cavern and the Father wants to, to get down in there and begin to explore it with you. And that, that's hard. That's not, very, that's not very good news. But the second invitation Jesus invites us into, which is a little bit confrontational, but behind it is mercy. In verse 37, when he says, Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. The, for with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. What Jesus is saying is, The harshness and condemnation with which you treat other people, that's the way the Father will treat you. So treat other other people the way you hope the Father will treat you. Again, we get into problems when we take teaching too literally. So Jesus isn't saying, you're not going to get up to heaven one day and the Father's going to say, okay, let's run through how you judged other people and I'm going to judge you in the same way. That's that's not quite what Jesus means. I think what he's saying is, if, if you've done the first thing, which is I've let the Father explore my own sin and I've noticed the log, the cavern of sin in my own life, and yet I've experienced the kindness of his Son through the cross, it seems unlikely the response of that is to going to be look at the sins of other people and condemn them with harshness. When I've walked through the experience of the gospel of grace, it seems like I would want to give that to other people. You're a sinner? Me too. I know what that's like. The Father is gentle. He's lowly. He's kind. He has an answer for your, your sin. So instead of gossip, indignation, Instagramming people's sins, we, 
We're looking in our own hearts first. That's what Jesus is inviting us into. That's what the practice of a Christian does. Before we ever point out the fall of another, we have a thoroughgoing reflection of our own brokenness. Um, and, and so to, to, to pull it back, my, kind of my, my whole point of this, this first point is to say, I think a lot of what I just shared, we all know is the teaching of Jesus, but our mental maps are wired by very different things. Right? Condemnation still feels more natural to us because we have a different teacher. And Jesus is inviting us out of the teachers of condemnation and into his own life, his own teachings. And so a huge focus for us as a church moving forward is, is to teach the way of Jesus. It's right, Liberty Bible Church. And that's not just the name. It's this has to craft our vision for the world. It's not just some things we agree to. No, this is how I navigate life. Jesus' teachings are everything to me. The scriptures are everything to me, and I orient my life around them, so I have to know them well. And as someone who's a mature disciple of Jesus, we'll, we'll know the scriptures well. So we want to teach them well. That's, that's, that's point one. That will always be based on you grow through the right kinds of teachings. But we need more than that, I think. So secondly, I want to talk about the practices in the lifestyle of Jesus. Now back in uh, 2018, when I ran the marathon, I had a friend, Reed, uh, who ran with me. And Reed, I actually got to talk to him this week. Uh, Reed, if you saw Reed, you'd think, that guy runs marathons. If you look at me, you're like, that guy eats pizza. Right? That's, there's a difference. <clears throat> I mean, Reed, the first marathon Reed ever ran, he, he said he, got, he was going to just do the half marathon version of, of a race. And he got nine miles into a training run, and he's like, you know, I'm just going to go for the full marathon. And then ran another 10 miles that day. Like, that's, that's a crazy person right there. But that's a marathoner. He has the lifestyle of a marathoner. He eats what marathoners eat. He reads what marathoners read. He runs the way marathoners uh, run. He has the lifestyle of a marathoner, so therefore it's, it's easy for him. Well, maybe not easy, but it's easier for him to run marathons because his lifestyle leads to a certain type of life. His practices add up to the lifestyle of a marathoner. And ultimately, what I want to say is if we're going to have the life of Jesus, we have to, we have to take up his practices, his lifestyle. As John uh, Mark Homer in his book, The Ruthless Illumination of Hurry, says really well and, and succinctly, if you want to experience the life of Jesus... You have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. And that's ultimately what being a disciple means. When Jesus comes to us in Matthew 11 and says, take up my yoke, what he's saying is, take up my body of teaching, take up my lifestyle, take up the way I approach life. And as you do that, you'll have the kind of life I have. And what was his life? It was a life at rest for his soul. He experienced enormous uh, tension, pushback. He was murdered. And yet what's he doing is he's being murdered. He's forgiving his enemies. He's a man at peace with the Father and himself because he has a lifestyle that adds up to that. And what was his lifestyle? He devoted time to the Father in solitude and prayer. He fasted. He, he made weekly worship in the, in the synagogue, a part of his rhythm. He had a community of people surrounding him. You add up all of the things that he built his life on, and that's why he had a, a, a certain type of life. So he comes to us and says, take my lifestyle. Take up my way of being in the world. And so one, one thing we're going to talk about a lot is what were the practices of Jesus and how do we introduce them into our own lives so that our lifestyle, our calendar, our daily, weekly rhythms are what his were. And that's the only way by which you can expect to have the kind of life he had. So let's, all that's theory. Let me put it on the ground for us. We live in a culture of when you see do, someone doing something you consider wrong, you condemn them. We live in the outrage culture. It's because we have 
practices that lead to condemnation and outrage. So let me gently go into some of those practices. This is truly a question with a little bit of an answer to it, but it's truly a question. I don't know how you can watch certain TV shows, cable news, between 7 and 10 p.m. and not become a person of condemnation. Because that's what those shows are built on. Is who is my enemy and how can I speak of them in condescending, condemning ways? That's what a lot of podcasts are built on. That's what Twitter is built on. And when you add up days and hours and weeks of condemnation and let me treat people with harshness, and that's what you're taking into your soul, that adds up to a life that is afraid, that is angry, and that is condemning. Jesus invites you into a different practice. What I'm going to focus on this morning is is solitude with the Father. Read through the Gospels and you find Jesus. He's getting away from people. He's getting alone to be with the Father. And that's actually what Jesus is inviting you into in this passage is go explore the log with your Father before you, you become so focused on the speck in your brother's eye. Go explore that before the Father. Even the judge not and you will not be judged. There's The undercurrent of everything Jesus is saying is, is that's not what the Father is like. He's not a quick, judgmental, angry Father. He forgives. So go to him. Experience his forgiveness in your, in your sin. And yet, how many, how many Christians, if you added up the time, we spend, we spend more time listening to outrage culture than we do solitude with the Father, receiving his forgiveness, his kindness, and mercy. See, your practices add up to a certain kind of, of life. And if you, you fill your days with a certain way of being, you become a certain kind of person. What I'm suggesting is we as a church have to say, well, we want to fill our days with the sorts of things that Jesus did so we can be the kind of person that Jesus was. That every morning we wake up and we say, okay, okay, Father, where's the log today? And in response, we experience the gentle, lowly yoke of Jesus. That makes a different person when that's your daily practice as opposed to the outrage machine. So practices in the lifestyle of Jesus. If you want to run a marathon spiritually, right, we need the teachings of Jesus to unravel kind of false mental maps that you and I have that navigate the world incorrectly. Secondly, we need a pra- the practices of Jesus, his lifestyle. But third, we need, we need community community. So my last marathon story, my favorite moment of the Chicago Marathon in 2018, and you've probably heard this story before, but I, I have to tell it because it's so good. You know, you're running and people are shouting, encouraging things at you. It's, it's actually a really, it's probably one of the most powerful experiences of my life, having people yell at me, you can do it. But my favorite moment of the marathon was, you know, I'm running along, I think it was like mile 10, 11, I was close to Wrigley Field. It's like, the, I could just feel the Lord's presence. It's like, it's over there. The Shekinah, it's like I can feel it. But I'm, you know, I'm wearing down a little bit. It had rained the whole time. I'm just drenched. And I hear this guy yell out, bald with a beard. Yeah. <laughs> it was that deep. I turn around and there's a man. He's bald. He's got a, a beard every bit as glorious as my own. And he's, he's just pointing at me, smiling. And I will never forget that moment the rest of my life. And I believe that's what the church is supposed to be. Let me tell you another story. When I was a pastor uh, downstate in Indiana, um, we had a kid who was, uh, he was in high school at that time. Um, 
but was uh, a couple years ago, it led worship in a, in a church. It was a very traditional environment, but the kids were going to lead worship. The middle school students, he was a middle school student at the time, he was going to lead worship on a Sunday morning. And, you know, guys, he said, I want to look cool, so he said, I'm going to dye my hair blonde. And uh, he did, but it came out purple. He's got purple hair, and he's got to lead worship in a very traditional environment in church the next morning. So what, what, what do you do? Um, it's actually why I shaved my head. I just, it came out purple one time, and it's just, so I got to, sh- anyway. Um, no, what, what he did, and so he, he, he decides he's going to put a hat on, and he goes and he leads worship with a hat on. Service gets over, and a, an, an elder member of the church comes up to him and just unloads on him for wearing a hat in church. Let's him have it. Um, it. Man, it broke that kid. The shame. He already was just feeling so embarrassed at his mistake. He didn't, he didn't need another opinion about what he had done. He, he felt so bad. And yet, uh, someone who had been going to church his whole life, apparently had never gotten to Luke 6, and just showed up and judged him with a harshness that, as that kid told me that story several years later, I could, that's going to go with him the rest of his life. Because he wore a hat in church. Now, I want to be clear. I'm not, I'm not ever going to wear a hat in church on a Sunday morning, although those of us who are bald, like, that would feel more equal to me than to you guys who have nice heads of hair. Like, if we all had to wear hats, it feels like it could be equal then, but I'm not going to advocate for this. This is not about hats in church. This is about a teenage kid. And yeah, I tell that story not because it's an exception. It's, I know too many of those stories. And when Jesus in Luke 6 is teaching, he's not, he's not like, hey, here's some interesting words for you to think about. He's saying, you're my disciples, and this is the community that you're to have. A community of non-condemnation. A community where when people sin, we're more aware of our own sin than we are of the sins of other people. And yet, how much of us, our own experience in the church, is more in line with that kid in his hat than with, with Luke 6? That, uh, David Kinnaman, a few years ago, did a study on uh, Christian, or non-Christians aged 16 to 19. And he asked them, give me the words that come to mind when you hear Christian. And 8 of 10 non-Christians, 16 to 19, use the words judgmental. I think that's why we're seeing a mass exodus in church today. It's because the, te- the, the people of Jesus are not being led by the teachings of Jesus. And again, I hear you, you're, you're thinking, well, wait, we have to call sin, sin. And there's, yes, I'm, I'm in for that. But on Jesus' terms, not ours. And certainly not on a culture of condemnation and outrage. Not their terms. On Jesus' terms. Who said, go and sin no more to people. We say that. We, we hold up the truth of Jesus. No doubt. And yet, Jesus said, the Son of Man did not come to condemn the world. Those are his words. Now, there is a time coming, a second time, when the final judgment will will have its due course. I'm not saying there won't be a judgment. There will. But Jesus, we're in a time when that's not the primary message. The primary message is deliverance. You got a log? I know someone that can take it out. If you're stuck in sin, I know someone who can break you free and forgive you and be the kindest, gentlest presence in your life you could ever imagine. And the church has to make that believable to the world. And so you and I, if we're going to run spiritual marathon, we can't, we can't just have the right teachings or the practices. We need people around us yelling, bald with a beard, yes. <laughs> you can do this. 
Yes, I know the thing. I, I have a long list of things we could talk about that have disappointed me about you, but I don't need to go to that list. You can do this. The Lord Jesus has you. To let our words be grace, encouragement, kindness. I'm going to spend three weeks on community, so I'm going to stop us there. I'm going to, I'm going to pull us back and just say, this, this is my theory of how we, how we run spiritual marathon, how we become like Jesus, is we need the right kind of teachings. The Bible has to frame our vision of the world. Second, we need the practices, a lifestyle, a calendar that looks like what Jesus would have his calendar be if he were us. And then third, we, we need community. We need people around us who are the presence of the non-condemning Son of God to us, who gave his life for our sins so that we could find forget. We need people who make that believable to us. That's how we change. But you may, you may hear all that and think, okay, but that sounds like works. Do all of these things and you get saved. And let me say three things to that. First, I'm going to say this a lot. One, grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. We do not earn our salvation. So just because you do the practices of God doesn't mean, well, I like you a little bit more than the person not doing the practices or, or the person who's living a better life. Like we, God loves us, period. So none of this is try to earn your salvation through these things. No, what I'm saying is if you want to become like Jesus, this is what, this is what it takes. So do you want to become like Jesus? Salvation aside, salvation is grace. It's not, it is opposed to effort, but not, or it, grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. There's nothing we can earn before the Father. But second, Jesus' invitation to us is not, hey, live however you want. I'll see you when you die in heaven. Jesus does not say that anywhere. He doesn't say anything close to that anywhere. And yet, sometimes that's what we, we think grace means is, don't tell me to do anything because that's works. Well, no, it's Actually, thirdly, this is what grace is. Grace is, I see the life of Jesus, and I want that life. I want to be that kind of person. But I know I will never be that kind of person on my own, ever. No chance. It's just me and, and this thing. And then along comes Jesus and says, learn from me. Be my student. Take up my yoke. Let me give you rest for your soul. The life that I have, that can become your life, life to the full. When I fail him, he doesn't condemn me. When I get the answers wrong, he doesn't shake his fist at me. He, on his own terms, is gentle and lowly of heart, kind, full of joy. And when I keep failing him, he doesn't say, well, that's it. Too much, one too many times. Now he goes all the way to the cross, covers our failures, bleeds out his life to forgive our sins, and then sends us his spirit so that he can be even nearer to us than he was on earth. So of course I'm going to make my life about training with that guy. What other community would I want to join the one founded by him? What other person's lifestyle would I want to model myself after than his? And what other voice would I listen to? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we, or I, I want to I have a life that is free of the things that weigh me down. So thank you that, that Jesus actually, he actually invites us to that. Yes, he said, like, forgiveness of sins, get into heaven, yes. But right now, those of us who can't forgive the people who have harmed us, 
who can't stop gossiping or living in a spirit of condemnation against other people who are afraid, who are anxious. Father, you come to us and say, I have a better life. With no sense of, of condescension, you, the God of the universe, don't come to us in condescension or in um, rolling your eyes at us, but with the sacrifice of your own son, Jesus, on our behalf. I just, Father, let us sit in that for the rest of this morning as we, we gather at your table, sing your songs. May we, we just sit in your kindness towards us through your son, Jesus. By the power of your spirit, I pray these things. Amen. Thanks for being with us today. If you'd like more information on our church or a place to connect, you can check us out on the web at findliberty.net.